Amen. We are looking tonight, with the Lord's help, at the parable of the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking here in parabolic fashion, and we're looking at the wise and the foolish meetings here in the opening verses of chapter 25. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Now this particular parable forms part of his farewell sermon of caution. He's cautioning them about his own return. These essentially were his last words. Now in chapter 24 of Matthew's Gospel, the Lord Jesus has been foretelling the signs of his coming to judgment. And the wisdom, stressing the, the wisdom, are watching for his return. Now we do know the Lord has come. We're absolutely sure of that. And according to the signs of the times, it's coming very soon. I believe that. But we do not know the precise moment of his return. And therefore, wisdom beholds us that we watch. Therefore, this is the great climax, the purpose of this parable of the Lord Jesus. He gives us there in verse number 13, the great purpose. Watch, watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. The ten virgins represent the visible professing church, which is in the world today. Here is a picture of Christendom, which consists of two classes of people, possessors and professors. The five wise virgins who have oil in their lamps represent the real Christians. Oil being a type of the Holy Spirit. The five foolish virgins represent those who are merely professing, merely professing. Now we must all profess, but it must be much deeper than a profession. So here they are, mere professing Christians, and I use that word advisedly. They who have never been born again, they do not of a truth possess. The Holy Spirit is only the outward manifestation of this work in their heart and in their lives. These two classes are in the church today. They're in this church right now. And the lamp speaks of testimony. It speaks of profession. And there are so many at this hour who profess that they know God, but who deny him in their works. Because they are mere professors. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They, they don't feel the need, the power of the Holy Ghost, to live the Christian life. They think they can pretty well manage on their own. And they do not feel their power of the Holy Spirit to help them to live the Christian life. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the heart that constitutes a person, a real Christian. And I wonder, how do you stand in this regard tonight? Romans 8 and 9 reveals, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. How do you stand? How do I stand in this regard to this 
fearful truth. According to the parable, the wise and the foolish virgins, the possessing Christians and the professing Christians will be together in Christendom until the Lord comes. I mean, this whole parable is of the Lord Jesus. And right up to his coming, you have the five foolish and you have the five wise maidens. I was speaking to a man, if you just give me a second, this past Thursday. Two things drew me to him. First of all, the shirt. It looks from distance identical to mine. That's interesting. And then I noticed his limp. And I watched him very carefully. You never know who's watching, do you? Out in public. Be very careful. And uh, I thought, that, that poor man's had a stroke. But as we entered into a conversation eventually, I learned it was another condition and just as serious. You know, we can better help others when we have suffered. We have heart and we have compassion. And I told this man, look, I'm not preaching to you. I won't do that. Because I've been a failure, a miserable sufferer on too many occasions. So I'm not going to preach. Uh, and I asked him, would you be a saved man? It's always good to ask a question. And he said, he looked at me quite seriously and longingly. He said, I have a profession. I thought, there's God giving to me confirmation upon the message tonight. He said, I have a profession. Now, I think underneath there was a longing that it was more than that, that he had possession. But he recognized at least that he had a profession. Now, I say, I have more hope of a man like that than... Someone who glibly says, oh yes, I'm a Christian. But there's no evidence. How many there are who have a profession and nothing more than a profession? And who foolishly, we're speaking here about the foolish maidens, who foolishly place their hopes for eternity upon a mere empty procession that has not been followed by transformed heart and life. An empty profession in that they have no oil. No oil. You see how relevant, powerful, penetrating are these parables of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when the Lord comes, there are going to be these two, we could say, classes of individuals within the church of the Savior. Those who are professors, and those who are possessors. Now what will it mean is coming to the wise virgins and what will his coming mean to the foolish virgin well that's what we want for a few moments to think about tonight first of all then what his coming will mean for the real Christian well it will mean this first of all immediate entrance immediate entrance into the presence of the Lord look at verse number 10 if you would and while they went to buy that's the foolish maidens the bridegroom came and they that were ready went in. They that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. They that were ready went in. Some people, Christians, are fearful of the Lord's return. Now I confess, at times I would be myself. When we think of what's going to happen, the trumpet blast, 
the shout of the archangel. Heaven open as a scroll. The Lord Jesus descending in his mighty power with all his holy angels. Perhaps it will be sometime in the night, at midnight, the cry was made here. Well, we would think that maybe there could be somebody with a heart attack or fainting with fright. This comes, as it were, out of the blue. And sometimes we're fearful what's going to take place. Well, there's surely, surely no need to be fearful. For the moment he comes will mark the moment of our release from all of earth's limitations, including fear. The Lord dealt with it. He's got it all taken care of. We must live by faith. And we shall at once be absent from the body, present with the Lord. With Christ, which is far better. In a flash, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the bride will be united immediately to the great bridegroom. The manifestation of Christ will be the glorification of his people. If we die first, before it comes, then we were the first ones to raise that is coming. If we are alive when he comes, well, we will call up together to meet him in the law, in the air. And that forevermore, what a, a glorious hope we have as the saints of the Lord. So it will mean immediate, no period of delay, soon as Jesus comes, will immediately be ushered into the presence of the Lord himself. And then there will be the beginning of a new and intimate fellowship with the Lord. Notice the words there in verse number 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him, with him, to the marriage. Right now he's with us. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. At my first answer, the apostle said, no man stood with me. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. But when he comes, in a moment, we shall be with him. So right now he's with us. But when Jesus comes, in a most wonderful way, we're going to be with him. And uh, for us, we'll be forever with the Lord. Now you say, what guarantees it for the Christian? Well, I'll tell you what guarantees it. It is the prayers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you would turn with me to John's Gospel, John chapter 17, reading here the high priestly prayer of Christ. And you and I, as his people, are included in this prayer. John 17 and the verse number 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me. Be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me from before the foundation of the world. So here's Christ. And uh, he's praying for us that we will be with him. And of course, this is going to be answered when Jesus comes again. And so what the guarantee of our being with him is the high priestly prayers 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not comforting to you? Does that not do your heart and your soul good? Is it absolute sure? The prayers of Christ guarantee our immediate entrance into Christ and our wonderful fellowship with the Savior. And then it will mean joy unspeakable and full of glory. Notice what it says in verse number 10. They that were ready went into the marriage. So it's going to be joy unspeakable and full of glory. They that were ready went in with him to the marriage. Now surely this speaks of joy and gladness in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I well remember the day in which I was saved. We were asked to give a word of testimony. Pastor William Mullen was a preacher. A large number of individuals were saved that night. I was one of them. And uh, he asked for a little word of testimony from each individual. That's the best way to start the Christian life. And when he, I was the very last one, when you know it. And when he got to me and I began to speak, I couldn't get the words out. Not because I was nervous, but because I was filled with the joy of the Lord. It was joy unspeakable. I couldn't put a word to it. And I want to tell you, to my shame, I don't feel I've ever had a day like it since. Joy unspeakable, full of glory. But I tell you, there's a day coming... And with that wonderful experience will be eclipsed by the joy of meeting afresh our great bridegroom at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Maybe you could turn with me to the book of the Revelation, chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, the verse number 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Notice that. She's made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints, speaking, of course, of the righteousness of Christ. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. What a marriage. We've had some wonderful marriages down here. But can you imagine what this great marriage feast is going to be like? Christ will be there in person. Going to see him. We'll know him by the nail prints in his hand. And I wonder tonight, will you be present? Have you been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus? Are you going to be present at this great marriage feast? Where there will be joy unspeakable and full of glory. And then we shall be eternally secure with Christ. Verse number 10. They that were ready went in with him to the marriage. The door was shut. And this speaks not only of exclusion but of inclusion. Of security. For all who are within. You remember that when Noah and his family entered into the ark, God shut the door. Any door which God shuts cannot be opened. Now what was this for? To shut out the ungodly? Not primarily. The primary reason for this was to shut 
in the God line. And thank the Lord, we are secure in Christ now. But when he comes, we will be secure with Christ. Today, the Lord Jesus said to that repentant thief, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise, secure. When you get into your car, uh, close the door, what you do is you strap on the seatbelt. You get strapped in and uh, you put on that safety seatbelt. And when we're strapped in and shut in, that gives us a feeling of security. And how wonderful it is to be eternally secure with Christ. Nobody intruding upon the wonderful experience of the Savior. Not for all eternity. How wonderful to be eternally secure with the Lord Jesus. That door forever is shut. No one will intrude. We will not escape. No one will wish to. We will be eternally secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's just very briefly what it will mean for the wise virgins. Those who read it. Those who have not only profession but possession. Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in their hearts in their lives. I trust that will encourage you tonight as we press on. That will not be like those who are sleeping, but that will be on the job for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what will this coming mean for the mere professing Christian? What will be the position of those who though they have all the appearance of being Christians and perhaps even belong to some church or some assembly are nonetheless not born again. Here are people who have just enough Christianity to feel they need no more. It's all surface, superficial, outward. There's no depth, nor do they want depth. But they have just enough of the vestments of Christianity to think they need no more. Quite content with what they have. Just enough truth to make a passing show. The lamp was going out. The profession was all but gone. And so this not only speaks of no depth, but of no duration. It was only for a time. Now what are they going to experience when the Lord comes? In church, what happens when Christ comes? Well, they will be shut out from the presence of the Lord. Verse 10, once more. When the Lord Jesus Christ came, they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Maybe we could turn back just a page to Matthew 24, verse number 37. But as the days of Noah, they were days of great violence. We're living in a day of great violence. Violence of the unborn. Turn on your TV. Turn on the computers. All violent very often. So shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the, till the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall it also be with the coming of the Son of 
man. This is the insolemn indeed, but it is the constant testimony of Scripture. A terrible separation is going to take place between the sinner and between the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it will also mean separation from the wise virgins. Do you ever think of that? Here they are together in an assembly, enjoying some form, we could say, of fellowship. But when the Lord comes, represented here in those wise virgins, they went in, but the foolish virgins were shut out. And when the Lord comes, loved ones, it's almost unthinkable, isn't it? Loved ones and friends will be separated. Parents and children who are living together now will be separated then. Husbands and wives, employers and employees. What a time of fearful separation. Let's read again back in chapter 24, Matthew's Gospel, verse number 40, these words. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. By the way, this has nothing to do with a secret rapture, taking away the glory. In its context, these people are taken away to judgment. Then two shall be in the field, the one taken away to judgment, taken the other left. Two women shall be grinding in the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, for ye know not the hour that your Lord doth come. When I read these words, it fills my heart with fear and with dread. Not for me, but for souls who are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. They enjoy the atmosphere of coming into the house of God. Why wouldn't they? Here's the people that are friendly. Here's the people that have nothing but their best interests at view, at heart. Here's the people who are kind, loving. Who wouldn't want to be in that company? But they're not saved. Together perhaps tonight. When the Lord comes, that will signal the end of any future fellowship. Cut off. And then this separation from the Lord and from the saved will be final and eternal. There's no hint here, or anywhere else in Scripture for that matter, of a second chance of salvation for people who have deliberately, persistently refused God's offer of mercy in the gospel. Why should there be? Why should there be a second chance? The word here, shut. The door was shut. It's a very strong word. And it conveys the idea of a door that is locked or bolted shut and cannot be opened. At what a cost, we saw something of it this morning, at what a great cost the door of salvation was opened. But oh, what a cost to sinners when that door is shut, that door of salvation. What a cost. What a fearful cost. And then it will be a time of bitter remorse. Again, the verse number 11. Afterward came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open us. Lord, it's us. You knew we, we were in church. We went there for years. 
Lord, it's me. You recognize me. Lord, open the door. Can you imagine? That's what's taking place here. In parabolic fashion. Lord, look, look. It's me. We're on a first name basis. Lord, Lord. How solemn it is to remember that those pictured here as outsiders are not atheists. They're not agnostics. They're not grossly wicked people, but church members, religious, respectable, good-living people. Spurgeon says, it seems these persons who were shut out knew something about prayer. Maybe they attended the prayer meeting. Will you be on the outside knocking, seeking entrance, admission into glory? The door won't be opened. Shut eternally. And then it will mean being unrecognized by Christ. A final reference tonight. We'll be back in the same gospel, chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And the verse number 21. Maybe I could read verse 20 just first of all. Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord, open this. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me, that, many will say to me in that day. Imagine this. Lord, Lord, on a first name basis with the Lord. Knew something at least of prayer. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied? I tell you, you can not only go to the pit from the pew, you can go to the pit from the pulpit. There's a word for me. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? We preached. And in thy name cast out many devils. I think this is spirit, special relevance to the charismatic movement. But you can disagree with them on that. And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, apparently. But here's the conclusion of the whole matter. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Who are you? Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Here's a people who did not know the Lord in a saving way. They had every advantage. They had every opportunity. But they never pressed in. They were never saved. And the Lord said, I don't know you. Who are you? You, you know me by name? Okay. But uh, I'd have to say that in this sense that we've been speaking about, in the saving sense, I, I've never known you. We're strangers. To me, this is one of the most fearful things. In fact, I fear to read those verses. Here's a people who loved the idea of being Christian. They were quite happy to be numbered amongst the saints of God. But they didn't love the idea, they didn't love the reality 
that they didn't want to really give up sin, certain aspects of sin. They wanted certain aspects of the world, weren't prepared to give that up. They didn't really want to study their Bibles. They had a Bible, maybe even marked. But there was no heart communion when they read. They didn't study the Word of God. There was no real commitment. And the Lord said, well, you didn't take me serious. And I'm not going to take you serious. Only serious people are going to get in to heaven. What a fearful, fearful thing to live through a whole eternity without the Lord Jesus. Without his presence, his provision, his recognition, his acknowledgement. It's as though in the mind of God this person doesn't even exist. Who are you? Who are you? I wonder, how does the Sabbath day find you? Are you ready should the Lord Jesus come? We should be praying as Christians, even so come. God will come, the Lord Jesus will come, yes, at his own set time. But he won't come unless God's people are praying. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Are you longing? Are you looking? For the coming of the Lord Jesus, my, very soon. I don't know if I'm going to live into the coming of the Lord. I hope I am. But it's very soon in my view. We need to be ready. How awful to be merely religious, religious but not redeemed. To be upright but not clothed in the righteousness of Christ. To be sincere but not saved. Go to the Savior, I would say to you tonight at once. Seek his pardon and his salvation. I would say, dear friend, the lamp is going out. That's what the Lord said. The lamp is going out. And the day of grace and opportunity is all but over. And then what will it be with the blackness of darkness forever? I would plead with you tonight. Come while the door, now is the time to press in. When the Lord Jesus comes, it will be too late. Come now while the door of opportunity is open. The door of mercy. The door of hope. The door to heaven is still open. Tonight, press in. Can you see those individuals trying to get that door open? There's violence then. The kingdom of heaven suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. There's where you ought to be your most violent. Pressing in, not taking over an answer, coming through the blood, seeking the cleansing and covering the blood, the mercy of God. Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. Press in. If there's one place you ought to press in tonight, it's to press right in, dear sinner, to the salvation the Lord Jesus alone can give. He loves pressing sinners. He loves coming sinners. The night I was saved, I tell you, wild horses could not have held me back. There was the impunction of the Holy Ghost. I had to get saved. Do you know anything about that? Make sure. Make your calling and your election sure. I don't know how many more times 
I'll have to preach in this pulpit. But I want you to get the message. It's a very serious matter. The more I go on in the Christian life, I wonder how much of the Lord we know. God will not be trifled with. No. God is serious. He's earnest. And we must be the same. Enter in tonight. And we can say in the word of God, you'll know what it is to be redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord and ready for when the great, great cry 